Welcome to the Resilient Caregiver Podcast, where we empower those who serve people diagnosed with dementia by providing unbiased information and the encouragement necessary to maintain caregiver wellness. This podcast is brought to you by the Aging and Disability Resource Center of Southwest Wisconsin. Today, our guest is the brilliant Dr. Emmy Betts with degrees from both Johns Hopkins and Yale. She works as a board certified emergency physician and conducts research in injury prevention with specific focuses, including older driver safety, suicide prevention, and firearm injury prevention. Her work has been funded by the National Institutes of Health, the Department of Defense, and more. Dr. Betts also instructs medical and graduate students and residents about injury prevention and geriatrics. Welcome to the show. I am so grateful for your time today, doctor. As we begin this conversation, I want to acknowledge that currently there are heated debates nationally surrounding the idea of gun control, especially after the horror in Uvalde, Texas. Doctor, it's my hope that any listeners of this program can join us in a reasonable and rational discussion about public safety when it comes to people experiencing cognitive decline and dementia. Uh, These are people who often experience terrifying hallucinations. Regardless of anyone's political sentiments, I think reasonable people can understand that a person experiencing dementia symptoms needs to not be in possession of a loaded operational firearm for their safety, for caregiver safety, and public safety. Would you agree or care to comment further on this? I know I agree 100%. And I think we also want to make it clear that ideally, this is about family being able to step in and and do the things that they need to do ideally, you know, without confiscation or involvement of law enforcement and so forth. And in an ideal world, really, these are the kinds of things we'd be planning for ahead of time so that people are helping make decisions themselves about what they want to happen um, if they become impaired later. Absolutely. I've been looking forward to this interview. Such an important topic. You work in ERs with people in crisis. Uh, You experience the grim realities of horrific physical injuries, uh, complex family dynamics, complicated disease processes, and people languishing in addiction and mental illness at varying degrees. For those who don't commonly experience these realities, there must be an urgency that you experience that others may not understand. And tailing off of what you just said, that how satisfying is it for you to create prevention options that help ensure that potential crises can be resolved before anyone would ever even need emergency care? Yeah, I mean, it's great. We joke sometimes that, you know, I'm trying to put myself out of business, that <laughs> I would love it if people stopped coming, if I never saw people again, you know, because we really want to help families and caregivers maybe take action before there's a crisis so that it doesn't get to the point of physical injury. But even just the emotional trauma that can happen when family members sometimes have to step in if things are really getting dicey. It'd be great if we could prevent all of those situations. Absolutely. You've articulated how often those in mental health crises transition from suicidal ideation to suicide attempt in a pretty rapid and impulsive manner. If firearms are available, this results in devastating lethality, where often people who do not have access to a firearm either attempt unsuccessfully, connect with appropriate mental health services, or survive the situation in another way Why do we need to have conversations about firearms in addition to safety concerns like driving for those diagnosed with dementia? You know, I think it's important to make it clear it's not that the gun itself or even the car itself is the thing that is somehow prompting the injury or the the, the badness to happen, but it's that they are tools that can be dangerous and can cause harm to the person using them and to people around them. And I would hope it's not a stretch for people to recognize that someone who has cognitive impairment, whether from dementia or from something else, is not 
someone who can safely handle significant tools like a car or a firearm. As you mentioned earlier, dementia, unfortunately, is often accompanied by behavioral changes or behavioral disturbances and paranoia or aggression and so forth. The presence of a gun isn't going to make those things happen. But if those symptoms happen and and a gun is available, the potential to escalate to significant or fatal injury is much greater because guns are supposed to be lethal that's what they're intended for and so it's it's really about trying to to make sure that someone is in an environment that's safe so that things don't escalate to the point of injury or death and this has got to be difficult for physicians or anybody who is a, a medical provider of a family dealing with this these are complex challenges complex grief issues occurring between caregivers and and people who are suffering from dementia. But those conversations ultimately need to be had at some point. To your knowledge, is there any state or federal laws that prohibit physicians from speaking about firearms to their patients? No, absolutely not. That's a really important take home. There are no state or federal laws that prohibit healthcare providers from talking about firearms with patients. And then I wanted to ask what your observations were as you've worked with families when it comes to firearm trusts or agreements between family members to have firearms safely transferred to a friend or family member once the dementia process makes it unsafe for a person to be in possession of them. What have you noticed? Do you believe that those are helpful? Yeah, so I think there's sort of two things. Is it my wearing my healthcare provider hat? I would say a what? I've never heard of that. I don't, you know, I mean, I think most healthcare providers may not be very savvy about the various legal options when it comes to firearm transfers, things like firearm trusts or transfer agreements and so forth. And I think that's okay in that I think healthcare providers have a role in making sure families are aware of the issue and are are starting to think through it. And then I think we need to be able to point people to the resources they need. So as a researcher in the space, I've heard loud and clear from families that they were lacking resources and they didn't necessarily know what their options were. And that's part of the reason we developed the Firearm Life Plan, which is a a website that's totally free. We're not making money off of it. We'd love for people to use it, but intends to kind of help people think through some of the options, legal options like firearm trusts and so forth, but also thinking about how could you pass firearms on to different family members or If families don't want to keep them, what are their options in terms of sale or turning them into law enforcement and so forth? Because I think it's important for us to remember every family situation is going to be different, and that's okay. And we want to make sure that we're providing person-centered, patient-centered care that's also supporting safe decisions. I wanted to ask what you have learned from your perspective about the deep reverence people experience for their firearms, particularly in veteran or first responder populations who have often have extensive training and reliance upon firearms, especially uh, associated with a feeling of safety, security, and autonomy. What have you learned as you've delved into this matter, trying to ensure safety for people? So this is where it's, it's really complicated, right? Because I think people's relationship with their guns is sometimes much stronger than their relationship with, say, their cars, because you were bringing up earlier sort of decisions about driving. And I I think it's important, though, that we distinguish here between two circumstances. So one where it's an older adult 
who does not have cognitive impairment, so an older adult who still is able to safely handle and operate a firearm. That's a different situation in terms of someone who may still have very strong ties or be really, for whatever reason, not willing or not interested in moving firearms out of the home. When you get to the situation, though, where it's someone who now has cognitive impairment, it adds another dimension, I think, for family to think about. So imagine, for example, the person is a veteran or a former law enforcement agent who's really used to handling firearms all the time, but no longer can do that safely. I think that's where family might think about options like disabling the firearm such that it can't be used, but the person with dementia might not be able to realize that. So they could still handle it daily, but they wouldn't have the same level of risk in terms of harming someone else. Now, the downside to that approach is that if for some reason police showed up, they wouldn't know that it was a disabled weapon and so forth. Things could escalate. But for an individual family situation, if something like that approach of disabling a weapon is going to decrease the anxiety in someone, you know, then families might want to think about something like that. There's another element that I think is complicated, and, and particularly in the context where a person still has cognitive capacity, but might perhaps have other frailty or physical impairments that make them no longer safe to handle a firearm. And that's the fear that people may have around home break-ins and so forth, and the need to replace a firearm with something that provides the same sense of security for people. We've heard from some older adults as they age and, and perhaps feel even more vulnerable, that that adds a complicating layer. And so I think for families who are thinking about this with older relatives, particularly before cognitive impairment starts, it's important to acknowledge any potential home safety considerations. Will you share a little bit more of what you're doing in Colorado about the progress that's being made? Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing we're really excited about is the Firearm Life Plan, which is firearmlifeplan.org. Again, it's a totally free website. Uh, We developed it using NIH funding from a research study where we interviewed lots of older adult firearm owners and family members and healthcare providers. And we wanted to develop a toolkit that would be useful for people in thinking about how to plan ahead. So it's not intended necessarily for the situation of dementia, but certainly many of the tools could be useful there as well. So it has two main components. One is basically an inventory for people to complete where firearms are, are they locked up? What are the passcodes? Where's the key? Who do they want to get the firearm and at what point, whether it's upon death or if something should happen. So it's intended to be a log that people can print out and keep however they want to keep it securely but and start to think about what to do in the future. And I think that can be helpful for family members as well. And then the Firearm Life Plan also has a piece that is intended to be, it's called a legacy map. and, And basically it's a place for people to record memories, teachings, things they want to pass on to the next generation when it comes to firearms, whether it's particular stories about one or what it has meant to them to be a firearm owner, because we know there's this deep emotional connection for some people. And so the hope is the ability to record that then it helps with sort of the, the passing on of the transferring process. We are also doing some active work related specifically to dementia. And I will say we actually are currently in the process of recruiting dementia caregivers for a study of a new resource because we really want to hear from people what they need and and what they want and what works for them. And we're really excited to be 
working with the firearms community um, as well as with the aging and uh, dementia community in, in trying to create resources that are useful. Amazing. Doctor, thank you so much for joining me on the Resilient Caregiver podcast. I always conclude the show with four quick questions that are designed to offer encouragement and insight into an empowered and resilient process of caregiving. Do you mind running through these quick four questions? Okay, sure. All right. What is one thing dementia has taught you about the experience of living? Oh, I suppose to appreciate every day and sometimes to to back to the basics and things like music and physical touch and how we can connect with each other. And when caregivers are overwhelmed, what have you observed to be helpful? I think for those of us around caregivers, just an acknowledgement that what they're doing is hard and hopefully helping people feel like they're not alone and that they're not the only ones going through this. What is one action you recommend caregivers utilize for self-care? Asking for help. And I know that's really hard, (laughs) but uh, there are lots of resources out there. There is help available, even if it's just someone to talk to. And I know caregivers can feel like they're really taking on the world, and they are in many ways. And uh, we in healthcare certainly want to be able to do more to support them. And what is one resource you believe is important for caregivers to be aware of as they seek to be resilient? That's a tough one. I was going to say, you know, firearm life plan. <laughs> no, but that helps. I went, no, no, you know what? I will say that. And perhaps that's a shameless plug for our topical area. And again, it's not something we're making money off of. But, but my hope is that these kinds of tools can help people in a process of transferring firearms or sort of moving to a new stage, but also recording memories and remembering the good things and the legacy that someone is passing on instead of it perhaps feeling just like restriction or or sad changes. Absolutely. And that will truly help caregivers be resilient, passing on that legacy to loved ones. diagnosed with dementia, it adds a whole new layer of challenge on top of what we're already immersed in. I celebrate you care partners out there who are bearing such extraordinary burdens. I hope that we can help lift one of those burdens off your shoulders by planning ahead. If your loved one has a deep connection with firearms, consider utilizing the tools Dr. Betts has mentioned to help ensure safety while passing on your loved one's legacy to those they care about. Thank you for the priceless acts of kindness and compassion that are your mainstay every night and every day. Thank you, Dr. Betts, and thank you so much for listening to the Resilient Caregiver Podcast. Please share this episode with your friends or family members who may find it helpful. Please make sure to subscribe so you can get the unbiased, science-based information you need to effectively care for the person in your life who has been diagnosed with dementia. As always, please take a moment to know that you're not alone and that we at the Aging and Disability Resource Center affirm your honorable work of serving another vulnerable human being. The ADRC has dementia care specialists in every Wisconsin county, so reach out to your local ADRC if you have any additional needs, questions, or concerns. If you're listening from beyond Wisconsin, please reach out to local resources available to you. Thank you so much for listening, and take good care.